Hi there, you're listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Terry, and this season of the Unabridged Podcast is the Terror in the Sky series. This is an unforgettable, fast-paced collection of six novellas that tell you the story of what happens when multiple strangers board a doomed flight. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 10 Why do we have to go back home? West whined. Justine had to practically drag her son as they made their way toward the airport escalators. You don't need to worry about that, she answered. All you need to know is we changed our plans. Sometimes that happens. She was trying to decide whether to offer him more junk food or a trip to the video game store as a concession. Either one should be enough to settle him down and prevent a tantrum here in the airport. At least she hoped so. I thought we were going to visit Grandma. West pulled against her grip with all his strength. Alice is not your Grandma, Justine snapped, fully aware of the passengers staring at them both. She pulled West toward her and whispered in his ear, Listen, I'll explain more in the car, okay? But right now, I need you to be a big boy and do what I tell you. West didn't budge. I want to go see Grandma, he screeched. Hello there, young man. Did you lose somebody? Justine blinked at the stranger, trying to remember why her face looked familiar. The white-haired woman smiled at Justine. Great, the same little old lady her son had nearly plowed over in the terminal. Is everything all right? the woman asked. Justine let out her breath. No, everything was not all right, but that didn't make it this stranger's business. Justine was about to pick up her son and carry him out of the airport, kicking and screaming if necessary, but the old woman was rummaging through her ancient-looking purse. Does your son have any allergies? she asked Justine. I have some farm-fresh goat milk chocolate here and would be happy to share if that's all right with you. West's eyes had already widened at the promise of candy. There was no way Justine could deny him now. That'd be fine, she replied with a resigned sigh. She hoped the woman would catch from the tone of her voice that she didn't feel like a long, drawn-out conversation. I'm Grandma Lucy. The woman shook West's hand, then extended hers to Justine. Nice to meet you. Justine made a show of glancing at the clock above them. West, say thank you for the candy, and then we've got to go. Where are you flying to today? Grandma Lucy asked. West stuck out his lower lip and Justine knew he was preparing to give this stranger his best impression of a sob story. We were gonna see my grandma, he began, his voice trembling slightly. But now my mama says we can't. Grandma Lucy frowned. How disappointing. She turned to Justine. Was your flight canceled? That snow's really coming down, isn't it? So far, Justine hadn't been able to come up with a compelling reason to give West why they were leaving the airport, but she figured the weather was as good an excuse as any. Yeah, she responded quickly. 
it's really too bad. Where does your grandma live? the old woman asked, bending down to address West as if Justine weren't even there. In Detroit, he answered, and Grandma Lucy's face lit up. Really? Well, that's where I'm headed, too. In fact, they've been calling standbys on my flight for the past half an hour. I bet we can get you on board if you really wanted to. West's face brightened, and Justine was convinced he would have taken Grandma Lucy's hand right there and gotten onto the plane whether his mother followed them or not. She really had to have more in-depth discussions with him on stranger danger. Come on, Mama, he grabbed Justine's sleeve. Let's go see if they have room for us. Justine didn't move. She didn't want to give in to her son, didn't want to reward him for throwing a tantrum. She thought about how disappointed her husband would be if she took West home right now. Then she looked at Grandma Lucy. There was something calming about her presence. The woman's confidence and familiarity unnerved her, annoyed her to no end. And yet Justine felt somehow drawn toward her. Come on, Mama. West wrapped his arms around Justine's waist. Let's go to our airplane, please. Justine let out her breath. There was something inexplicable about this stranger's presence that felt both inviting and unwelcome. As her eyes moved from Grandma Lucy to West, Justine knew as certainly as she knew that it was snowing outside or that she loved her son more than anything else in this world that she was meant to get on that airplane. Call it destiny, call it whatever you want, but she knew in that instant as this little white-haired lady smiled at her warmly that she and West were supposed to fly to Detroit, and no amount of nerves or fear or protests could get her to change her mind. Chapter 11 after keeping my secret for nearly the entire pregnancy, Dennis had finally figured it out. You have no idea how hard your father's lawyers had to fight to keep the jury from hearing this part of the story. I'll spare you the details. Suffice it to say, your father reacted as deplorably as I thought he would, and about an hour later, I was in the ER getting ready for surgery. I was hemorrhaging. They weren't just worried about your health. You and I both were close to death that night. You were delivered by emergency C-section. Your father couldn't come in the room, and the OB who delivered you begged me to call the police. You don't have to pretend that you fell down the stairs, he told me. I know what happened. I've seen this kind of thing before. He was giving me a way out telling me he'd call the police for me if I was too scared to do it myself, promising me they'd help me find a safer life, a better life for me and my daughter. He didn't know who I was, didn't know who I was married to, didn't realize that no matter where on God's green earth I took you, your father would hunt us both down. Dennis didn't want a child, but now that you were here, he wasn't about to let you go not without the fight of our lives. And so I told that nice doctor I really had fallen down the steps 
thanked him for saving your life, told him there was nothing at all he had to worry about. He was older, probably in his sixties, when he delivered you. Most likely he's dead by now. I think about him, wonder what might have happened if I'd listened to him, allowed myself to believe he could actually help the two of us, desperate as we were. You were in the hospital for several weeks. You had to put on weight and learn how to nurse before we could bring you home. Overnight, Dennis turned into the father of the year. He even got permission to bring in a camera crew to the hospital and introduce you on TV to the greater Detroit area. My little miracle baby, he called you. And it was true. Back then, they didn't have as fancy care for babies born too soon. The doctors told us you had a 50-50 chance to survive. And survive you did. Your father was a monster, but nobody knew it. People sent in gifts from all over the state. That's how much they loved your father. The newspaper wrote you up as the most famous baby in all of Michigan. Nobody knew your father was the reason you were premature. Nobody knew it was your father's fault you and I both nearly died the day you were born. Nobody knew it was going to get even worse before I could find a way to deliver you permanently to safety. Chapter 12 How old are you, young man? Grandma Lucy asked West. The old woman hadn't left their side since Justine headed to the gate with her son. I'm four, he answered, beaming proudly. Four? Wow, you're awfully big for your age. West grinned at the apparent compliment. Justine wondered how it was that adults could make comments like that about children's body size and shape without it coming across as aggressive or rude. She also didn't appreciate how Grandma Lucy was addressing West and not herself. But, to be fair, Justine hadn't done much more than answer the old woman's questions with monosyllables. And are you a Christian, West? Grandma Lucy asked, leaning in toward him. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Good grief! Was this eccentric stranger really about to start preaching to a preschooler? We go to church, Justine inserted sharply. She picked up her purse, trying to decide if there was time to get West one more snack from McDonald's before they had to board. Not every week, West started to protest, but Grandma Lucy didn't seem to hear him. She was addressing Justine directly. Oh, there's so much more to having a personal relationship with Christ than just showing up to church on Sundays. Justine was finished. It was bad enough Steve had changed so much over the past year, droning on and on about Jesus this and God that. Last summer, his pastor's wife had given Steve a kid's Bible to read with West at bedtime. Justine was certain Steve would let the habit die after the first few nights, but here they were, months later, and Steve was still going at it strong. Justine didn't mind that West was learning Bible stories and going to church, and she couldn't deny that her husband was infinitely easier to live with now that he had come to God. But even though he never stepped right up and said so, 
Justine got the feeling she was a constant disappointment to her husband, that he'd be more in love with her, happier with her if she got into this whole Jesus thing as much as he did. Maybe he'd prayed this annoying old woman into their lives. Maybe Steve asked God to send them someone persistent who'd pester Justine until she finally got as serious about her faith as Steve wanted her to be. Justine was spared the need to end the awkward conversation when the flight attendant invited passengers traveling with small children to board. West wasn't a toddler anymore. Justine didn't have a stroller or booster seat or any clunky baggage to take on the plane with them, but she wasn't going to sit here and listen to some stranger proselytize her son anymore, either. Come on, West. She took her son's hand and let out her breath. It's time to get on the plane. Chapter 13 You were a beautiful child. I don't know what happened to them, but I had boxes and boxes of pictures of you when you were a baby. You weren't even six pounds by the time we brought you home, but you were strong. You were a fighter. I was so proud of you. You gave me a reason to live, Justine. If it weren't for you, I... Well, you don't need to hear that side of it. For the first little bit after you came home from the hospital, your father and I got along. He seemed to have changed his mind about not wanting to be a dad. I think part of him just liked the attention he got because of you. But I think there was a part of him, however small, that loved you in his own way. Your father had demons, Justine. I'm not sure I mean that in the literal sense of the word, but he didn't necessarily want to be a monster. I don't know what went wrong with him, and it's too late now to try to figure out anyway. You had just started crawling when the beatings started again. Dennis was taking me to different doctors, telling them that I was unstable. Postpartum psychosis, they called it. I'm sure you've heard of it. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't crazy. I was a prisoner. Dennis found a doctor who prescribed me something horrible, something meant for people with severe mental illnesses. It knocked me out, made me gain 15 pounds the first two months, and that's on top of all the weight I gained during the pregnancy. I couldn't nurse you anymore, could hardly function. He took me to more doctors complained about my behavior, hinted I might not be safe around our child, hired a cute perky au pair to move in with us and help out with the baby, as he put it. Really, he just wanted someone to take to bed since I was so drugged up and overweight by then, he'd lost his interest in me. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I was relieved when he found another focal point for his attentions. The drugs kept coming. You kept growing. Dennis told the au pair all kinds of terrible things about me, made it sound like I couldn't be trusted alone with my own child. She took you out and about every day, leaving me home alone. Nothing to do but cry and beg God to end my life. I could have done it, but I held on to the hope that if I managed to get myself healthy, Dennis would let me be your mother again. I did everything he told me to do, 
ate nothing but cabbage soup for weeks on end because Dennis told me I was fat, took my meds, not having a clue that my problem wasn't a mental illness, but that my husband was drugging me up to keep me compliant. I don't know what happened to the au pair, but she disappeared. Dennis told me her mom was sick and she flew back home, but she'd told me she was an orphan. Truth be told, I bet he killed her. They'd gotten into a terrible fight the night before. I heard him yelling at her. The next day, she was gone. Of course, I can't prove anything. When I mentioned it at the trial, the judge told me to shut up, said it had nothing to do with the case. I think it had everything to do with the case. I was scared for my life. If Dennis could make an au pair simply disappear, a woman nobody came looking for, a woman with no connections or legal representation, what could he do to me? He'd already gotten multiple doctors in his pocket, men who testified that I was unstable, unfit to be a mother. Dennis controlled every single aspect of my life, and the nightmare was far from over. Thanks for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. This has been the Terror in the Skies series written by me, Alana Terry, and narrated by Becky Dowdy. If you want to listen to or read this entire series without interruptions, you can look for the Terror in the Skies series by Alana Terry wherever you shop for ebooks, paperbacks, or audiobooks.